Hello and welcome to episode 43 of Booze, Booms and Busts, the podcast where we quaff a few beers while discussing market events over the past week. My name is Boa Shoshan. I'm joined as ever by Sam. Sam, how are you getting on at the moment and what are you drinking this week? Well, I'm, I'm getting on fabulously. It's a it's a long weekend. Hey, early early May, long weekend, bank holiday, whatever it's called over here. Um, so I can't complain about that. And uh, tonight I've got a uh, double IPA and a hazy IPA. Uh, the first one I am cracking on with is the double IPA from the Pomona Island Brewery uh, in Salford. Uh, and this one is called Gnome Island. It is a, uh, a sort of matte pink can with a gnome on the front of it in, in like a turquoise color. And he's got his little thumb up. He seems pretty happy. Uh, when it's beer o'clock on a Friday, how could you not be happy? This is eight percent double IPA. So this you is sound like be... you've only just realised that. I... <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Literally, this is eight percent. I've turned the can around and just gone. This is oh shit, eight percent, eight percent. Wow, was it that obvious? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gave yourself away a bit there, I think, mate. I, you know, with Pomena Island, I don't know if it's Pomena or Pomena. I've had quite a few from that brewery before, um, and they're always pretty interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's not it's not the first one I've had. I can't remember what the other ones that I've had before, but I, I vaguely recall they've always been pretty good. Um, but, you know, we'll find out soon enough. Uh, look, first, first uh, instance, it seems pretty good. So I'm happy to keep drinking this. And uh, as I said, at 8%, this should be, geez, I haven't even looked at what the other one is. What's the other one? Where can I find it? I don't even know what. It doesn't even have a. Oh, 6.5, the other one. But we'll get onto that later. What are you uh, knocking off first off tonight? Yeah, the what I am drinking at the moment is a beer called Aurum. And I guess I am giving away uh, what my bullish segment uh, pick is going to be this week. But yeah, this is Aurum, a refreshingly fruity golden ale by, uh, let's see, I think this is, and underneath it says Styrian Golding slash Saz. And this is Eden River Brew Company. So yeah, a golden beer, which, a golden ale, uh, which is 4.4% ABV. Uh, has a you know nice snazzy golden label as as you would imagine for a golden beer called Orem no less, uh, but yeah Eden River Brew Company I think I've had a few of theirs before and um, yeah this one is tasting pretty good so far, yeah Sam I I, I do give it away on my <laughs> I am I'm bullish on gold this week so Orem we, we should know. naturally kick on with that then yeah I uh, I had to pick this one because I knew I'd I'd be bullish on gold this week but yeah gold is uh, it's high. It's had a had a pretty bad time since August, but I uh, and I am. What, 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 so hang on, on that. What would you? What would you? Like you say, bad time. I mean, what with the, with gold? What what does a bad time look like? I mean, I, yeah. I don't quite understand how it's. It doesn't seem to have been that bad, but if you describe it as bad, I'm kind of keen to understand why. Yeah, I mean that's probably not the best way of describing it, to be honest with you. Uh, so it was a bad time, uh, especially for gold investors who are generally uh, very long term. Uh, owners uh, and investors in in the metal. Uh, gold has had a bad time in terms of you know fiat terms. In terms of the gold price itself, if you were trying to buy gold as a short term trade, you would have had a bad time since August, which is right. when uh, the price peaked. Uh, it has fallen a fair bit since then, uh, but it does look like 
this is going to turn around. That's kind of why I'm, I'm bullish on it. The main reason we've seen a fall in gold is, in my eyes, is mainly just a rise in real interest rates because mm. interest rates got really, really low during the lockdown period. Now the economy is, re- the economy is reopening. So uh, the, the, the needs, the fear that drives people into owning US treasuries rather than uh, real economic assets is going away. As a result, interest rates rise because there's uh, less crowding out of interest rates. Uh, and interest rates are in competition with gold. So, uh, you know, the when when real interest rates rise, when you can earn a real return, uh, you know, above and beyond the rate of inflation on paper money, then why why do you need to own gold when paper money will deliver a real return? That's what uh, that's the main driver I think that's been of uh, gold going down since August. That said, I mean, gold's not gone down that much really, uh, mm. especially if you if you zoom out. Uh, it's really just, it got very, very hot in August. As I recall, uh, a school friend of mine, uh, you know, almost perfectly you know, revealed the peak of the market by sending a message saying uh, to my old schoolmates group chat saying, who's buying gold right now, which is generally a sign that things are, you know, things are getting maybe a little too frothy in that market. And yeah, lo and behold, uh, gold sold off for quite a while after that point. However, you know, as I say, looking back on it, if you zoom out on it, it's not really formed by that much. Uh, and right now, I think we're at the point where real interest rates are going to bottom again, because there's only so much economic uh, activity that's going to arise. Uh, and there is, at the same time, a significant amount of inflation, I think, that's coming along. So I think gold is, I think, actually, where we are now is probably one of the last chances to buy gold at these levels for uh, the foreseeable future. I, I think the gold train is leaving the station, as it were. And uh, if you do want to get on, you know, and not wait for the next one, which is going to have a far costlier ticket, then uh, now is the time for it. Um, but yeah, uh, it, as I say, you know, gold having a bad time didn't really make sense. But uh, in terms of in fiat price terms, it's had it's not been as strong as it was uh, during that during that lockdown, uh, you know, bullish. Uh, sort of bullish explosion that we had because it really was quite extraordinary and of course you know another one of the reasons uh, and there is evidence for I don't think it's this is a going to really change the game for gold at all but one of the reasons why gold's had a bad time is that bitcoins arrived and some investors are seeing bitcoin as a better form of gold I don't believe that to be the case but the uh, just in terms of the withdrawals from gold ETFs and the inflows into into bitcoin exchange traded products is to a lot, it, it's so correlated that there has to at least be some people who have sold gold in order to buy Bitcoin, which you know they're of course they're fully entitled to do. But mm. it's, it's like you're you're swapping a spanner for a hammer. Yeah, like they, exactly. They're not these are not doing the same things. So why why do it? it didn't that, that's what great. that's what I never got about that that idea is 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 that people would sell gold for a better form of it, or at least viewing Bitcoin as a better form. But like you say, they're very different very different beasts really i mean bitcoin's far more of a volatile asset you know in terms of you know fiat money prices than the gold has ever been really um they they i think people because we've never really seen what bitcoin does in high inflation environments we don't really know what's going to happen there um yeah so it may it may be like gold or maybe even crazier who knows but yeah, I don't. I uh, I I still don't think it's like. I think the the mass. I think well, I'd even say mass, but I think the outflows from like things like gold ETFs. I don't think it's gone. I don't. I'm, I don't buy into that it's gone all into Bitcoin or anything like that. 
I think it's probably gone into the market just because people are looking for, you know, returns. They're just seeking returns rather than um, a natural hedge against some of the, the things that you mentioned before. That I mean, was my that was my broad view when people were, you know, when you got like the Winklevi saying that Bitcoin is going to disrupt gold and you get, you know, Michael Saylor saying, you know, there's that entire debate they did. I like I dismissed that as your, you know, gold going down is because of real interest rates. It's not because of Bitcoin. However, that said, my mind slightly changed on that because I've spoken to a few quite large investors who say, who are plugged into some of the more mainstream finance, financial sort of institutions and more some of the, the bigger funds. And they've said that they know people who have done that. Uh, they know people who've sold gold ETFs for Bitcoin ETFs. So I think so there is, there is apparently there is at least some, uh, there is at least some of that gold money that's gone into Bitcoin. But mm. like, this is not going to, you know, when you say, I don't think they are the same. I think you know, one of these things is a metal, right? The other thing is a technology. It's yeah. they're just not the same. Yeah. Uh, so I really don't think we're going to see that over a sustained period of time. I think it's it's happening temporarily now because people yeah. are unsure of what Bitcoin really is yet. As you say, we don't know what it'll do in a high inflation period. But uh, I really don't think there's going to be some sustained move away from one of these things into the other. They can. It's very easy for them to coexist. I think I think you also probably find that there's there's like there, there are some similarities between them in 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 the fact of the kind of people that invest in them. Like I think what you find yeah, is jobs that, like us. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you end up with like people that own physical gold, right? That buy that want the actual asset. They don't buy. They're not me. buying ETFs or ETPs or you know futures contracts or anything like that. They're buying the actual hard metal. Likewise with Bitcoin maxis, if you will. Uh, similar to gold maxes, they're buying Bitcoin. They're not buying the ETFs or the ETPs or the futures contracts or anything like that. I th and and they, I, I believe that that you don't get the crossover between those. I don't think you get Bitcoin maxes that necessarily sell out of a position to buy hard asset in the metal. I don't think you find that you sell you find people selling the hard metal to buy Bitcoin. But I think what you end up is with these the the Wall Streetization of both through the derivatives markets and through these constructed financial products, they're the ones that just switch and swap between the two because all they're really looking for is which is going to return me the greater, uh, the greater return rather than, you know, I'm seeing this, you know, I'm investing in this as a, as a hedge against genuine financial calamity and protecting my backside if everything goes tits up again, like 2008 um, or worse. So it, it's interesting. I think that you do, you, find, you kind of end up with these like, the Bitcoin maxis and the gold maxis, maybe some in between that are Bitcoin and gold maxis in terms of the hard asset itself. And then you've kind of got this cloud above that's just everyone that's just wanting to invest in the financial products. And that's why everyone's getting a hard on for things like uh, Bitcoin ETFs. And it's like, yeah, there's, look, there's advantages to that because it clearly builds a bigger market like it has with the gold market and all the, you know, the money that it brings from, from that sense. But at the same time, fickle fucking bunch. Uh, the, the investors in the derivatives markets, they will burn and dump on you as fast as they buy into those sorts of things. So I think in that sense, you do find similarities in the types of people that are investing in both asset classes. Yeah. I, um, and further to that, Sam, I think you're quite right. I think the person who buys a gold ETF, I think arguably doesn't understand gold. And here they are selling a gold ETF for a Bitcoin ETF, and they clearly don't understand Bitcoin by that yeah. as well. So it's almost like the weak hands for, if you've got weak hands, then 
you of course you're going to buy one and sell a paper one and you you're going to stay in that sort of paper space yeah um yeah it is i get it's funny the as you said with high inflation what's going to happen to it we've had a, quite a few discussions about this in the past i i'm still kind of you know on the on the side of if inflation wrecks the tech stocks then i think it should wreck bitcoin too but you know i may i'm i may well be wrong i think um i've i've actually become quite uh, attuned to the idea that if that maybe the the easiest trade for the next you know decade or whatever is just to own bitcoin and gold and that is definitely you're obviously a wingnut there because there's no you know there's no income being earned here at all <laughs> right you're just owning two assets which are thought by mainstream finance as uh four wingnuts uh completely useless pet rocks or uh you know digital tokens pet rocks or, or actual rocks <laughs> yeah pet rocks or actual rocks or yeah or maybe pet rocks squared or something but i am being much more drawn to the idea that uh Bitcoin and gold together uh, could be the could be the great combo because as I say I don't think they're the same but I think they complement each other incredibly well in the gold is what you would own when everything's going to shit and Bitcoin's actually what you own it's a as Michael Saylor would say you know Bitcoin is hope right you know gold is not hope at all the, the gold is not that that is not a, a hopeful asset that is a oh my god everything's going to hell kind of uh, kind of idea so I think together they could be um they could be very good which our our own uh, our colleague charlie morris he's created his own you know the bold portfolio where it's volatility weighted and everything and it's roughly if you did want to have a bold portfolio you'd be looking at it's almost like 60 40 it's yeah. and it and it changes depending on what uh, the environment is like but it would be mostly on the gold side and bitcoin is the thing that gives you all this crazy upside during the good times yeah, I mean, so this is exactly sort of my view on it as well. I, and this is what gives me the shits about these things like that fucking debate between Sailor and whatever, whoever that gold guy was. I, I didn't know. actually watch it. Ah, it's, it, yeah, we, we know we, we know the real reason why that was put on by Stansberry. Um, I, I, I just don't get why it has to be so adversarial. I just don't understand it. I, I don't get why people are like, oh, I own Bitcoin, ah, gold shit. All that people, ah, I own gold, ah, Bitcoin shit. I don't get it. But, you know, that's just people the way love, people be. People, people get extremely, huh? People love a good fight. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think people. I think it's just a tribalism thing, right? Is that people are inherently tribal. Uh, it's the same with with sport, right? Like football and that. It's like, you know, you can. I don't get why people can't appreciate the quality of a player from another team. Is it's like, oh, he plays for another team. Oh, he's a fucking asshole. It's like, well, not really, but you know, whatever. Tribalism, blah blah. Um, I mean, you can't help but buy into it. You know, you sometimes you do hate other teams, but it's, I don't know. It's just, a, just an inherent part of human nature, I guess, is you, to belong to a tribe and to, you know, die for the tribe. And, and it's, it's, you know, it plays out investment markets all the time. We see it with stocks. We see it with groups of stocks that happen. You know, we see it in the energy market with the fucking energy transition. <laughs> so yeah. everyone's got their tribe, right. You know, and people just want to be part of the tribe and, hell for leather they're gonna back that shit till they die i think this reflects a broader dynamic of investing becoming far more detached from what it used to be where it was mm. about fundamental serious analysis of things yeah. and in instead it's just become yet another uh thing that we can fight over you Main know it's trading. Just <laughs> exactly like so it's where it be it's become more even more like a video game it's become more like yeah. a sport than what it was really about, which was you know preserving and growing capital. Instead, Absolutely. it's Sorry. I'm right, you're wrong, and you know you're yeah. all like. 
you, you're on. I think you're on something. It's just you spark something just in 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 the back of my mind when you mentioned it's um, become like like gaming, um, yeah. because so like for, since God, I would say probably since the turn of the century, this one of the biggest trends which sort of gets talked about but not hugely, um, and I don't. I don't maybe there there has been some analysis done on it. Uh, in depth and the impacts on on society but it's this gamification of society um where where everything's turned into a game where you know you can't get a job as a tradie unless you've got a rating on checker trade you can't get a, a lift as an uber driver unless you've been rated uh you're encouraged to rate and review everything uh and and if it's not good if it doesn't get points then it's not worth using and you know the influence of, of like augmented reality that's coming, um, and even with the market, like you say, you know, it, it, there's there's an element of gaming about it, where everything that we seem to touch now has been gamified, uh, and it's this weird, weird underlying trend that I think that's been sort of slowly taking over society, and it just continues to do so. Um, and that if you, you know, if you don't play the game in the way that people like then you get you know you lose your lives and you're kicked off the game which is yeah. basically cancel culture wrapped up in one so you're right there's there's an element of gaming that's come to not just investments but everything that we do at the moment yeah and if you're a central banker you've got the cheats i mean yeah yeah <laughs> you've, got the, you've got the you know where to go to jump to the warp levels <laughs> yeah right you know uh yeah you know the combination of buttons that's required to uh get infinite lives or whatever that's yeah right. maybe maybe the world isn't a stage maybe the world's actually a pitch right everything's just a it's an arena yeah and everything has to be uh yeah i mean it's similar i mean you know it when you look at the development of sort of corporate culture over time you know, we have this this development of kpis right you know key yeah. performance indicators yeah and how you're rated on your KPIs and there's entire branches of business uh, studies and uh, with the MBA folks and that and the entire industry that is human <laughs> resources. Folks. Yeah, the M yeah, the MBA folks. And, we, know. Uh, we know who we know, we know. No disrespect know, you know. to the MBA folks. Uh, you got to respect the hustle. But uh, when you're thinking of how that's been introduced to uh, sort of, uh, especially for large uh, corporate organizations uh, the idea of having a kpi having a number you've got a mm. score and it's not yeah. about how much money you're making either that's only part of the input to your player score it's um you know i remember and now, now you remember, have social score and things like that it's all about a score you're right yeah yeah social credit score right do you yeah. remember there was a startup uh called people people spelled p double -E, e p l of course it's spelled -E -P -L. yeah right <laughs> no, but do you remember? Do you remember what their USP was going to be? So the idea was it was a um, social network where you would be rated. Uh, I think it was out of five stars for any interaction that you made with anybody else. Wow. And the key point, the key, the killer, the killer mm -hmm. edge to it, <laughs> you didn't decide if you had an account or not. You, someone else could create one to say, I've had, wow. I've had an interaction with this person. I'm going to wow. rate them. Wow. So there was That's no, black shit, that is. Yeah. 
It was, it was pretty horrific. Anyway, it received got such bad backlash. I think this is 2015 or 16. This was uh, this started. It got such bad backlash that the whole thing got shut down. And I remember it was funny where you know they tried to shut down their Facebook page because it was getting reported, and everyone was sort of saying, oh, "How do you like it now?" Right? You know, you you don't like it when people are rating you the wrong way. But uh, and it, it was good to see. You know, there was this kind of resistance. People still have. You know, there's still a border there. There's still a boundary there yeah. that people were resisting against. But um, yeah, it's funny. Ratings are a funny thing. Social credit score, I guess, is the ultimate. Makes it the ultimate game, right? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we're seeing, we're seeing, we we're seeing that play out in 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 parts of Asia, right? Where social and in China as well, where like social credit is or social scoring and social media interaction things like that all of a sudden start to weigh on your credit rating so it is a social social rating in its extreme and and i have no like i have no doubt i know there are, i remember going to conferences uh, uh a few years ago now where there were you know fintechs that were using social scores uh as an analysis towards credit credit decisions uh this is this is not this is not made up shit. This is going to become a part of how people get loans and how people borrow in the future is, is your social impact score. Um, so, you know, start, start deleting your tweets now, folks, because it's, it's going to come back to bite. And I, I mean, I don't know how this plays out. It's, it is, it is very, um, you know, or, or Willian and, and I, I don't know if it's good or bad or otherwise um, what, you know, if it, if it means there are less, uh, nef nefarious players in the system or if it just means that we're still more of a, just the surveillance society becomes even more influential um there's sufficient reasons to you know to to worry about that but then also that's you know then then all of a sudden you just look at things like the um you know open source developments in with with software open source projects where you know people are starting to look at building peer-to-peer -peer networks that are external to that sort of thing or where you don't need credit scores or if you you have credit scores that can remain remain private and anonymous uh, and encrypted so that yeah it can be used but not used against you um so i mean it feels like like the 20s can can be a, a bit of a fork in the road uh as to you know we we could very well go down this deep surveillance uh, a deep state surveillance path or or maybe we come out of it in a more open source peer-to-peer -peer, uh, way i'm not sure how it works but either way i think i think either either path you'd probably want to own a bit of both gold and bitcoin off the back of it i would have thought <laughs> yeah you know i think the the, the total surveillance uh, system like the total surveillance element of it is already here it's just how much it is overt and how obvious that your score actually is right mm. so maybe there already is a score right that maybe there is no a score for you that has been uh you know generated uh for you know following a formula and which has uh you know which puts you on certain lists and things like that and whether or not you're a high risk person or a low risk person etc you know i think the most extreme form of this would be <laughs> uh signature strikes which began under the obama administration where you know they they gather so much of this uh drone uh, aerial this aerial surveillance data on 
in various uh, sandy places across the Middle East. And they could track so many people all the time. You know, they were running these drone flights so that there was never what was called a blink. So there was never right. a, yeah. uh, an, you know, the camera was never turned off. They, they gathered enough data that they thought, well, now we don't actually need proof that someone's done something wrong. If they just do enough of the things that the bad people do that we know are bad, if they do enough of those, so if they go to the same pizza places, or if they uh, they walk to they take walks through certain areas, or they visit people in certain areas, we don't know what's going on in those buildings, but if they do enough of these things, they tick enough of these boxes, and they they score low enough on our sheet, right? Then we're just going to blow them up, and they did, um, and you know I think that's probably that's that's probably the worst kind of of uh, the worst adaptation of this credit score idea or not, it's not really that's, my, that's minority report predictive policing shit yeah and yeah but it actually you know it actually happened I mean it probably still does happen you probably just wouldn't really hear about it I mean there were drone strikes in in Pakistan in Somalia that you know you'd never hear about on the news here yeah. uh, you know because there's just there probably weren't even in a lot of these cases there wouldn't have been anyone around to even see it you know it was just a draw a car driving down a, a road in the middle of the nowhere and uh, and then suddenly there was a bright flash of light and that was it you know, game over, effectively. But Sam, uh, we have gone down a very morbid path here. Would you like to tell me what you're bullish on at the moment? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a departure from from that. Um, I'm I've kind of cheated. It's uh, I've kind of got 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 and been bullish on three things this week. Um, <laughs> whoa! What? Whoa! Whoa! I'll start with the. the He's got the uh, cheats. Where should I start? I think I'll start with the football. I'm bullish on football, right? Which is which is weird because we've just come off this whole thing about um, the 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 breakaway clubs, big clubs in the UK and and uh, Italy trying to form this Super League with all their billionaire owners to basically just make more money for themselves at the expense of pretty much all the fans and everyone else. That quickly got a um, kibosh from the fans, and I think that that sort of reaction from fans to then impact what is what was effectively a JP Morgan backed mass um, mass conspiracy to 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 commoditize football uh, the fact that it got reversed because of the fan outlash and, and backlash is significant and add to the mix BT sports said that they're going to sell their sport division pretty much. So all of a sudden now football may be going free to air. The rumor is that ITV could be in the running for football. I actually think Amazon will end up buying more of the premier league uh, and broadcasting more premier league games. But I think what it's done is it's, it's shaken up the whole idea around club ownership around broadcasting rights around where the money flows into football. And I think that it actually may cause for some significant change in, in how football is owned, uh, viewed, where it's viewed, and how that flows down into grassroots level and to smaller clubs. And I think that genuinely probably makes a better football environment. So I'm actually quite bullish on football in conjunction with that on Amazon because I think they're going to get a bigger slice of the football pie going forward, considering the kinds of money and value that is in broadcasting rights for that. 
having Amazon also this week have reported some pretty major kick ass earnings and just about every investment bank on earth upgraded its uh, price on Amazon to like $5,000 a share, which means a stock split is almost inevitably coming, which also probably means based on the market reaction that will make the stock price increase if Tesla's at least any uh -huh. example to go by. So Amazon could very well be the bullish uh, thing that I'm actually bullish on rather than football, but we'll see how that plays out. And just because I felt like adding this in, I'm also bullish on Paul Simon. Paul Simon. <laughs> Paul Simon. Because it was just, it, I read an article today that said his music catalog is worth an estimated $250 million. And like, so music streaming and music royalties and all those sorts of things. I'm very bullish on, 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 on that at the moment. I think, I think, so this is, this is the sort of second slash third, maybe even fourth thing that I'm bullish on. So uh, we know that how people consume music tends to change every sort of decade or two uh, in terms of the format and in terms of how uh, music is distributed. I think in terms of how we consume it, in terms of streaming, isn't going to necessarily change. But what we will see is we'll see how music is paid for and then how that money filters through to creators themselves. That's going to be the rapid development and major shift in the music industry uh, in the next couple of years. So I think that's the big shift coming in music. And I think there's going to be some, some opportunities in that space. Um, so, yeah sort of very kind of well, not opposing, but just very separate kind of things there, football and Amazon, and then Paul Simon and, uh, and music streaming. <laughs> wow, man. Yeah. I mean, you're going uh, full party mode there. Oh, I've, been, I've, been, I've been in everything this week. <laughs> this is what the end of lockdown really looks like. You know, people just <laughs> wanting to live, right? Yeah. You know, music royalties is a funny one. There's been, um, there's been a lot of, one of the one of the examples I like to give of the reach for yield and how it's um, how it's led to the financialization of things that previously would not have been financialized is how uh, you know some pretty large investment players have moved into music royalties uh, yeah. as a substitute for any any interest bearing asset. So with bonds yielding nothing, they've uh, ventured off into some really weird, strange areas, which include music royalties and arbitraging music royalties. You find um, a lot of artists, you know, a lot of dead artists, uh, you know, you can go to the, the people who, or, you know, who uh, have, have, the, have the title to that track, the, who, have, who are in receipt of the royalties, and they can buy them off them. You know, it's often, uh, there are all these little ways that they can enhance the yield where if you get access to, you know, get the title to the music and you own it and you're connected to the right people, you can then bring that, that music onto all of these different platforms that that track wasn't on before to then increase the royalties you'd get on it. Um, I remember an example that was given, this was at a, a Deutsche Bank Wealth Services event where they were talking about all of these incredibly innovative new ways that they were going to find yield that was... Um, you know, Take Me Home Country Roads by, um, you know, John Denver, which was used in a, I think it was Google Super Bowl advert. This was actually the, the title to that track, you know, the royalties for that track had actually been bought by one of their clients. And 
they had because they were so well connected not only have they gotten you know uh, the title to a track that gets played millions of times all the time they had been able at the same time to uh sort of suggest to google uh that this is the track that they should use for their super bowl ad Right. Uh, and so they made, you know, I think it was like 4X or something, you know, a ridiculous return on investment just by leveraging what can be achieved if you start viewing music as a financial instrument, which, of course, to I'm sure lots of old school musicians probably utterly abhor. But, you know, this is just what happens when interest rates go lower, lower and lower and lower. I mean, I'm like, this, uh, this was probably the, the probably the sexiest part of the reach for yield that they could come up with. The other ones were like releasing commercial aircraft that were yeah. really old. Yeah. Uh, but if, if that aircraft is old, but it's only done long distance flights, then it's not taken off and landed so much. So the damage on the aircraft is, is much lower than for shorter duration pl- flights. And so you can then release those and things. And it was doing like bridge loans for, um, for uh, fast food franchises. Uh, wow. Because there's a lot of like short-term financing that needs to go on for yeah. somebody who's trying to open a franchise. It was all this kind of kind of crazy stuff. Music royalties. There was a stock though. I forget its name. There was a stock. Hypnos- was, the hypnosis uh, fund, I think. Is that right? The where they just it was a it was a <laughs> company created just to own yeah music royalties. Yeah, they're, they're they're listed on the London Stock Exchange, and they just buy music catalogs. I think in February they bought. Oh, they bought some. I, just, I think it might have been off Bob Ross. Is it? I think it's Bob Ross, the, the, the producer that owned a lot of music. Like, and I think Hypnosis spent like hundreds of millions on like getting the back catalog to a number of really big artists. I think Shakira was one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do. They just own a shit ton of uh, music catalogs, and uh, and yeah, they get the royalties from it, um, which. If you get the right artist, I mean, fuck. If I don't know what the, in the article I read about Paul Simon, I don't know. I can't remember if it was if they were looking to buy those 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 songs or not. But you know, these are that that that's worth stuff. You know, I mean, you can't deny that's got to be worth some value there. So uh, yeah, you know, there, there are funds. Like that. I think I think what we'll see is we'll end up is that the creator themselves, because um, it's you like it's breaking into music the music industry is 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 like harder than breaking into professional sports and then not only that it's even more fickle once you do make it in there um so it's 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 tough industry and you know a lot of sort of starting musicians or people that just trying to get a break to get their music out there really struggle because and then end up having to sign their lives away to to record labels um and i think that's going to change is that the idea of being able to get uh onto a music label or have music labels that recognize that the the creators deserve more and yet being able to distribute their music through these streaming services but still get paid appropriately for it i think we're going to see a big shift in in that and and that's a good thing in terms of it's going to probably wrestle a lot of power away from you know companies like i think like spotify like i love spotify don't get me wrong as a consumer but i think that from a industry perspective, they're they're a, a, a vampire, really. <laughs> I mean, uh, and I think that those sorts of very centralized powers, again, this comes back to the idea of decentralization and peer-to-peer networks. Uh, I think I think that it's going to be tough for them, which uh, 
ironically probably leads eventually onto my bearish segment which we'll get to in a minute but i think there's a lot of change coming in the music industry not in how we consume but how the industry itself distributes uh the the money that 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 circulates in there Mm. yeah the thing is but yeah i hear that argument the thing is i do wonder just how much influence the existing vested interests in the record label industry rather than rogers music we just look at record labels i wonder how much influence they've got to the extent that they've managed to maintain their control to the extent that they have so you know this uh, this um, debate or this well it's not really a debate i mean this is this conflict between the interests of the music creator and the uh the record labels ultimately i mean it's been around for a very long time and there have been all manner of complaints about it there have been all manner of um you know artists that have spoken up and 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 at the same time said all the other artists they're too afraid to speak out because they'll lose their entire livelihood and i remember reading this probably would have been 2013 14 in wired magazine they did give a full like front page spread to skrillex who had yeah. signed on to a, a record label called Cobalt, which was uh, considered to be very innovative because it uh, it was you know it was like an internet company, very you know low overheads, you know very capital light, and all they were doing was just aggregating all of the revenues an artist could create from Spotify, YouTube, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and then giving that straight to the artist with a very upfront and it was very small clip of the ticket. You know they were running very low management fees. Uh, and the founder of Cobalt, I remember, was quoted as saying, you know, yeah, the, these artists these days, they're all just getting screwed, right? You got artists who are only on, you know, they're, they're going on tour just to make money, right? They, they, don't, they don't make, you know, when they're, when they're selling an album and people are buying it, you know, for those few people who still buy, you know, CDs, probably more people buying vinyl records these days than CDs. But, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, they're, they're not making any money because the, the label's taking it all. And nobody really knows even who runs these labels, you know, nobody, even though they must be enormously wealthy. But, you know, back then, this was like Cobalt's changing the industry. Like, this is, this is going to change everything. And, you know, that, that was back then. That would have been 2013, 14, I think. Maybe even earlier than that. But I think 13, 14 would be about right. And, at this, and similar, we've seen the whole Taylor Swift debacle with the Carlisle Group, which I was... Um, you know, quite a, it's quite incredible. The, the <laughs> this financialization of everything that is, uh, that is normal and sacred, right? Where, you know, Car- Carlisle Group, which, uh, of which is uh, Jerome Powell's alma mater, right? You know, his, uh, his previous career was in private equity with Carlisle. Uh, they had the, the rights to all of Taylor Swift's uh, songs, there's lots of, there was a great Twitter thread recently about all of the ins and outs in it and how Taylor Swift was trying to take them all down. Um, and Taylor Swift ended up re-recording all of her music uh, saying that this is, you know, this is just the updated version because, and now I'm going to earn the, you know, I'm going to earn the royalties to it and it's my music. I can use it however I like. <laughs> and it, it's just another one of these strange conflicts where a private equity group was somehow more important than the artist. The artist didn't get control over what they'd created and things like that. And Taylor Swift, you know, ended up signing with a different record label. She didn't do it all on her own back. She did it with a different record label that yeah. gave her the flexibility she wanted. I just wonder, though, considering, you know, it is what we're 2021 now. Internet's been around for a long time. You know, 
if something was really going to change, would it not have changed already? Well, and how much influence does so. the private interests have over musicians already? Because they remember these guys have so much money, they can make somebody uh, they they can make somebody a celebrity very quickly. Yeah, um, and that is very very alluring for the young person who's just trying, you know, busking and trying to make it to the big time. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's all about distribution, right? You can have the best product in the world, but you have the greatest song in the world. If nobody's there to listen to it, uh, you've got the worst product in the world mm. or, or song in the world. So it is, I mean, it's a combination of distribution and quality, I suppose, of, of the, the song, product, whatever it is in tandem. So, you, you know, what the the difficult thing has been is that these record companies or these streaming services uh, equate to mass distribution, instant mass distribution, uh, much like the radio used to be, you know, the way that they would get heard. I just, I, I, I think that, I don't know, I, I think maybe that there's a way that you end up with something like Spotify that is mass distribution, but then... Uh, and an artist can can self launch on and get and get paid so like for instance like i think what's what's spotify like nine quid a month or something like that yeah tenor if you break that down so that's like uh i mean if it's you know what 30 30 p a day or something like that right um if if you if you broke that down, if say you listen to 30 songs a day or something, you know, say a cent a song, you're paying or a penny, you're paying a penny for a song, which even then is probably if you're a huge consumer of, of these services, then you then you pay more. I think we'll just end up with rather than these sort of monthly subscription things, I think we'll end up with if you listen to an artist's song, uh, your your account's debited a penny or a half a penny or something like that. There'll be a sort of market for it. And 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 that you will find people probably don't end up, they probably end up paying less for their streaming services, but hearing more of the music that they want, or like what Pandora used to do, introducing new songs to you, where you might, you know, you might run a bit like when people self-publish with um, Amazon self-publishing or whatever. And, you know, you, you run a free trial period where people can sort of try your book and read it for free and then you end up selling it or there are different ways to to program that into your music so you, here's a free trial uh and then you start to build up a, a following that way so when you release the next thing then they they do they pay a penny to listen to one of your songs or you know a, a discount on the whole album or something like that but that money then flows directly to the artist themselves um and and it doesn't end up being all that cost differential to what you end up with today but the artist themselves gets paid directly. Uh, the distribution is automatically there. And I just think we probably haven't had that kind of peer networking technology that's brought that together in one home uh, ever before. So yeah, I guess I guess you're talking about a decentralized music exchange, right? So we think pretty of much. Dexes, it's, it's a bit like know. Napster, early early Napster, early kind of um, uh, 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 what was it the um, Oh yeah, pretty much early Napster combined with Spotify. Yeah, well, slash slash, uh, you know, IDEX or one of the yeah. uh, one of the crypto exchanges which are yeah. decentralized. Yeah, I mean, I can. I think a lot of a lot of this comes back to, you know, why are we using subscription models if microtransactions are possible? So imagine if it exactly. wasn't a penny. Exactly. Like imagine if you could imagine if you could send somebody a tenth of a penny 
to listen to. Or, you know, imagine it, with a smart contract and with a microtransaction, you could be paying the artist for every second of their music, right? Yeah. It doesn't yeah. even need to be the whole track. You could yeah. just pay for per seconds of listening time in fractions upon fractions of a penny, right? Um, and ultimately, you know, you can't do that through with your Visa card. You can't do that through PayPal, uh, but you can do that through things like Bitcoin. Uh, so, it w- I think this is kind of the dream of it, which a lot of people, which you know, hopefully will one day get to, where you don't have subscription models. It's just pay as you go, and the the prices are incredibly cheap because there's no massive um, you know, structure. That yeah, the, the, structure the infrastructure doesn't require all these touch points to, to start see, you know, seeping out that cost. And is that the, effectively the pipes are free uh, and therefore you can have microtransactions. And then, then all of a sudden, it's not just music that we're talking about. Like say, why are we in an, in an, in an instantaneous world where we can get an Amazon delivery the next fucking day? Why are we paying monthly for subscriptions to shit like Spotify, and the, or, or Netflix, why aren't we paying per second that we watch it? That now that we sort of do have that tech, and we still, I think we still, because we're early days in it, but all of a sudden we're not just talking about music streaming, we're talking about insurance by the second, uh, we're talking about uh, everything that you pay, have some sort of ongoing monthly payment for. Yeah, well, imagine if you were if you were a salaried employee, right? But well, you were, exactly, right? It, but it wasn't a salary, right? Imagine if it was actually paid for every minute that you're yeah. at work. Uh, you know the you know the idea of having a paycheck, right? Could be could be quite changed. Same thing with payday. You know, it, it's strange that people the, this this we have this idea of payday. Yeah, considering it's <laughs> wild. You know, it is strange. It, it does feel very, very old. Like it's like gyro credit, right? This does not. There's all this structure sort of sustaining that kind of thing, but it's not. It's not really required anymore. The issue is it has so much inertia that we continue yeah. with it. Maybe that's what's going on with the music side. Maybe it's the inertia. Yeah, everybody's just sort of used to it. Legacy um, systems, right? Mm. Now, how would you rate your beer, Sam? Because uh, I'm well onto my second one now. Yeah, me too. Uh, look, uh, no, Myland, I, I quite enjoyed that. Look, at eight percent, a surprising eight percent when you're not when you didn't know it was coming. Um, it's 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 very nice. It, it is it does get quite heavy on you sort of by the end of it. Um, so I, I think I'd struggle to drink more than probably a couple of those in a sitting. Um, but it was it was very nice. It was it had that kind of. Uh, I guess not not fruity, but uh, yeah, almost a fruity kind of taste to it. Um, I think there's a bit of citrus uh, in there as well. But um, overall, I, I enjoyed it uh, enough. Um, I don't think it was it necessarily blew my socks off, at least in terms of from a taste perspective. So if I had, probably had two of those, my socks would be blown off anyway. Um, I would, I think, yeah, look, I think it's probably just a B, a B, a solid B, a solid B for me, for Gnome Island. Yeah, I think the Aurum was, uh, was very nice. Nothing crazy, uh, nothing crazy though. It was, uh, it did what it says on the tin, really. Golden Ale, fruity. Uh, I think I would give it a B. I think B is, uh, or maybe actually, I think I'll give it B minus. I'll give it B minus. It wasn't that, that good, but you know, it did the job. Uh, I'm on to another actually by the same brewery, another by Eden River, which is called Emperor, an original English India Pale Ale. And this one at even uh, this one is 4.6%. And uh, it says we are 
At Eden River Brew Company, we demand the best, just like you. We make beer we are proud of. Beer like Emperor. An authentic original recipe, English India Pale Ale. Hyphen, we are good to you. Exclamation mark. <laughs> well, well, Eden River, we'll see about that. Are you good to me? Are you worth the money? Well, we'll, we'll I guess we'll find out once I finish with this. Indeed. Uh, so the beer I am on is a so this is the hazy ipa that i mentioned earlier from the deep creek brewing company which is based in auckland new zealand and uh it's called the misty miyagi zen master summer sensei a strong gentle brew uh lovely label on this sucker um it's got like a golden uh koi or golden carp on it with that uh, sort of japanese style uh animation artistry now interestingly on this this has won some awards they've got some awards on this sucker the aiba trophy 2017 and 2019 uh one is the champion small international brewery uh, and one is the champion medium international brewery so uh i'm not sure if they're a small or a medium brewery but they've been awarded both uh, i'm guessing they went from small to a medium brewery i wonder if in 2022 perhaps they win the champion large international brewery um, nonetheless this is from auckland misty miyagi uh and that's actually very nice so far i must say oh good now sam i mean you're bullish on pretty much everything this week uh, i mean are you bearish on anything is there any is there any is there any there negative anything? sentiment in your heart? Anything. Has, 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 has pessimism scraped into me at all? Uh, do you know what I'm, you know what I'm, I'm bearish on? I'm bearish on Facebook. I'm not going to lie. I think I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that by the end of this decade, Facebook will be a, a slither of its valuation right now. I am talking like one of the most epic uh, uh, companies to go from being this almighty massive powerful existence to something that no one gives a fuck about anymore it's going to become my spaced it is going to my space itself out of existence it's going to get bebowed it is going to be like fucking betamax it's just like even now does anybody under the age of 50 even use it anymore uh i There's mean got to be someone out there there's, There's got to be someone still playing Farmville. Farmville. Like, uh, I mean, I just can't say that Facebook is, is, is big surveillance rolled up into Zuckerberg. They've, they haven't even, they didn't even bother putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet. The fucking idiots. Uh, <laughs> they've got, they failed with the, their attempt at this, the, the Libra stable coin basket coin thing. I mean, maybe they'll revive it, it. Maybe they'll revive it. Well, look, they, they won't die because even MySpace still exists. So I'm just saying that Facebook is, if anything in, in big tech is ripe to be absolutely decimated, I think it's Facebook. I just don't see when you start to shift, like when the boomers start to die en masse because they just get old. Um, I think that Facebook is going to be irrelevant and, and that you will just see a mass exodus from them, that they will find some way to try and make it look all hunky-dory and rosy. But they are a 
I think that is probably the worst big tech company to own right now for the next mm. decade. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder about that. I think Facebook, yeah, it is mostly boomers now, retiring boomers. Thing is, right? Retirees have a lot of time on their hands and they're probably going to spend a lot of that time on Facebook, maybe buying yeah. some ads, you know, yeah. buying, buying whatever is being advertised in front of them. So it could so, be the, the new the new QVC is Facebook. <laughs> yeah, Face Boomer or uh, Boomer Book. Yeah, I, I think maybe the idea. I think what is definitely going to change is the idea of Facebook. Uh, I think it may well get relegated into the idea of the this is just the old people social network. Yeah, where it's like almost like a retirement home, or it's almost like a you know it's just this is just the old person's social network, which is incredible considering what it used to be, right? Yeah. Um. But Facebook with Libra, I think maybe they'll revive Libra. I think when uh, there's an idea going around, um, James Aitken uh, of uh, who runs his own macro research shop, he went on uh, he went on Grant Williams's podcast a while back, and he gave a very uh, a very lucid uh, case. I think that America might throw its weight behind the Libra project huh. and revive it, as it were, when they realize how far ahead China is with their DCEP, the uh, you know the digital currency electronic payment system. Just because, pretty much, in terms of centralized projects for that kind of payment system, Libra was kind of the only only thing America had really at the time. At the time, at the time, yeah, maybe USDC would just take its place now, that's, or maybe even, or maybe Tether, as we have. Well, uh, that's my view. I think that I think that that if if the the US is now going to move on that, or or even if it's going to wait to move, that that now Facebook probably had their chance to really do something forward thinking in that space, but I I think they've missed that boat, and I think Visa and the USDC thing now that has probably given a better option for that outcome yeah. than, than Libra would be. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. I, I think, I, I do wonder what, um, I'm Zuckerberg, you know, I, it's, I feel like, you know, surely his story has to end with a bang and not a whimper, right? You know, there's got, he's got to do something. You know, he's, he's going to crack. There's going to be some, He's going to pull something or somebody's going to do some kind of stunt. And this is going to be seen as the big, you know, the end of Zuckerberg or, you know, his, his, um, his reformation or something. You know, this guy is, it, you know, the, the tide has changed on him. So, you know, to such a degree. And he's I, I, still kind no, of, you know, he was thinking of going, he was thinking of being president for a while the idea yeah, of that is now laughable guys with he guys with hairlines like him don't get in don't become president um <laughs> you, you need a better hair like see you know i'm not even joking here unless you're unless you're full bald and I, i'm not even to be fair i can't even remember the last oh, no, i don't think obama had a great hairline i was better than zuckerberg's let's yeah. come on if you're going to be president you've got to have a semi-decent head of hair or or at least you either ex endorse the baldness or you have a, oh. a full head of hair. Like go back through, you know, even like Biden. Okay. He's, he's doing all right. He's doing better than Zuckerberg. Even Trump, even with that, the orange coif. I mean, seriously. yeah, he owned it. Yeah. He owned that. Yeah, you can't go half cocked, right? You have to go all in, all exactly. in. Obama, Obama was pretty good. I mean, even if Obama's was bad, which it wasn't, he's still pretty good looking rooster for a president. Uh, Bush, um, Bush, the other Bush, Clinton. We're talking heads of hair. America is all about the head of hair. 
Uh, yeah, Reagan had a pretty decent Reagan cut. Had a head of hair. Kennedy had a great head of hair. Mm. I mean, what was it? Lyndon B. Johnson? That's probably... I don't know. Is that what was his? Was he bald? Or at least yeah, but bald? I mean, he he only he got in to though. begin with because Kennedy got assassinated, so he had well, already yeah, achieved kind of... status without needing to campaign on yeah. the cut, right? I mean, you could go back to Lincoln, head of hair, man. That shit guy <laughs> up top and on the face. I mean, I think Zuckerberg's real problem is not the hairline; it's the fact that he looks like an alien, and it's really hard for him not to behave like an alien in public. Uh, so, you know, uh, we've already all seen the GIF of him drinking water. You know, it, and that you know him. Yeah, that was that's almost as good as um, uh, that English fellow eating the sausage roll. Um, <laughs> what's it? The Labour guy, the 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 ah uh, Miliband. Was it Miliband eating the sausage? Oh roll? yeah, right, Ed Miliband. <laughs> yeah, he had a he had a similar issue with presenting himself well in public. Yes, yeah, definitely. Oh, it was like it was like a Wallace and Gromit character with him, um, yeah. but anyway. So look, no. I, I, so the thing about Facebook, right, is that Facebook as a social network, I think is going to be kaputs. The only saving grace they have is Instagram and WhatsApp. That is their lifeline. Yeah, that's true. I would agree with that. That they those are the two best moves they've ever made. Yeah. Uh, outside of those. Facebook's a piece of shit and it's it, it would be, be non-existent. And so they they may survive, or what you may find is they may even split the company either through their own decision or forced decision. And if they do that, I would get the flying crack away from Facebook and very much be looking at uh, WhatsApp and Instagram in that case. Yeah, I, but then it works the other way, right? Why would you do that to the company when these are the only constituents of the company that are that are keeping it up, right? So everyone, I think the, everyone cut, knows. Cut the, uh, cut the weak links loose. No, but that's the thing, right? If everyone knows that everyone knows that Facebook is Boomerville, then why would you allow Boomerville? Like, if <laughs> Boomerville is also the key, you know, the major part of the company, there's the you know the spark that began the whole thing. And people are still valuing the stock because of its Instagram WhatsApp holdings. Why would you want to spin them off when, you know, you're trying to keep the whole thing together for yourself, right? What about selling it? Imagine that. Imagine if Facebook sold off Facebook. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it just became <laughs> instead WhatsApp and Instagram. It became yeah. WhatsApp or WhatsApp. Insta, Insta. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that seems almost more plausible. That'd be pretty funny. Maybe they could revert, they'd rename it Farmville. Imagine if they just renamed Facebook <laughs> Farmville. <laughs> I mean, they we are just go. farming their, their, their users, so why not? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, when, I when I finish um, <laughs> doing this record and I, I save it, I'm going to chuck the tag on there, um, Facebook Farmville. And, and, and I'm get, we're going to come back to this podcast in 10 years and see how <laughs> accurate we were as to whether or not Facebook just became Farmville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. WhatsApp yeah. and Instagram became Whatstagram. <laughs> yeah, so there's a where there's a boardroom rebellion against Zuck. Okay, <laughs> and the uh, that what happens is that WhatsApp, Instagram become one entity, and they spin off Facebook as Farmville <laughs> Limited. With uh, you know, what would the ticker be for Farmville? Just Farm or something, or, or Boom. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> And uh, and they and they just and Zuckerberg is confined 
to this rogue element of the Facebook or the for, what was formerly the Facebook machine, uh, and then lives out the rest of his days in Hawaii on all of the thousands of acres of Hawaiian land that he's bought. I mean, there are worse ways to go, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, he, he deserves it. He's done. He's built something quite quite incredible, but yeah. But not uh, enough for a good hairline, clearly. What's up with that? I mean, just accept it. If you're gonna if you're gonna go bald, just just accept it. Mm. I mean, the plug thing. I get I get why some people do it. And sometimes it looks good. Like, um, who did it? I think I think when so if you if you look at the first season of the the Office US with Steve Carell compared to the second and subsequent seasons, you'll see that he clearly has had some plugs, but done very very well. Um, Zuckerberg, considering the amount of money he's worth. And how much he probably has in the bank. You shouldn't uh, be allowed least, to have a hairline like at that. At least access it should to be illegal. No, that's illegal to have a hairline like that. Just yeah, sort your shit out. Because it's just gonna stop you from being president. All of a sudden, Dwayne Johnson's now favorite to become president. Which, you know, I could deal with that. I could I could live with the rock being president. I'll tell you what, he would be great. He would be great at a rally or in a debate, Dwayne Johnson. Uh, I mean, if you look at some of his old WWE promos, that guy can ad lib like a mofo. So I'm all for that. I, I, we need another actor come president in the US. And, and I think I think Dwayne Johnson's the guy to get behind. See, I think, you know, I've heard, I've heard this argument. I still think that Clooney is going to make a run for it because you would easily get, obviously, the women's vote. Uh, and at the same time, you'd also, he comes off as so, you know, suave that, I'm pretty sure he'd be able to hoover up most of the cosmopolitan, like all of the all of the elites sort of cities, all of the densely populated areas. Yeah, but but like so, think about like a G20 meeting, right? And you've you've who do you want standing in that lineup with fancy Hawaiian shirts on? I mean, do you want Clooney or do you want The Rock? Um, well, uh, remember Clooney is going to have his first lady is going to be Amal Clooney, uh, who obviously is uh, very well respected. Human rights, human lawyer, rights yeah. lawyer. She dresses very well, comes across Ooh. very well. You know, there would be it would be it would be seen as a power couple, and I I wouldn't vote for him, but I do think I get the impression that he he could run. You know, I, I this here we go. We'll, we'll call back on this one. I'll tag this appropriately as well, so we can pull it up in ten years' <laughs> time. Uh, I, I think one of them, if it's either the either Clooney, The Rock, or and just throwing this one back in there because I've, I've said this, I've said this wait, on wait, occasions wait. before. Wait, this is a Mich third actor, correct? Michelle, no, it's not. It's Michelle Obama. Oh yeah, yeah, no, you know, mate, that was all. That's twenty twenty four, definitely. That's yeah. not even a. I mean, th not... th this is this is almost obscene how obvious she's going to run at some point. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, one of those three. If one of those three isn't president by the twenty thirties, I I let I mean I might just um, you know have to do something, buy somebody a very fine bottle of whiskey because I think it's almost certainty that one of them will be. I, I'm I think, looking at yeah, I I'm looking at you right now, and and you, you you should describe to our listeners what you are holding in your hand right now. Right. So, um, you know, this has happened to me on quite a few occasions. I think I'm sure I'm not the only scatterbrain out there. Oh, I've done this. I've done this before. Among the star audience where, you know, you put a beer in the freezer because you want to get it cold real quick. Maybe you put more than one as I did, right? I put and a wine bottle in about, too. Yeah. And you forget about the other one. Yeah. And, uh, and then you discover it the next day. And uh, <laughs> lo and behold, you know, the cap has blown off and you got this beer that's frozen solid in there. 
Now, uh, now, Sam, actually, so I've, uh, for my second beer, that, that Emperor one I had, I would give that one also a B minus, by the way, I'll, I'll rate that here and there. But I have taken this thing out of the freezer. And if I discovered that if you ever want a DIY lava lamp, all you need <laughs> to do is freeze a beer, and then turn it upside down and put it in a glass. And the way it'll bubble out, the way it does this thing, it's, um, it's quite mesmerizing. I put it on my Twitter feed. If you want to see, you know, what it looks like in action, but it's quite remarkable. Anyway, I'm not sure I've ever frozen a beer as solid as this thing because I've had this out in the sun for well over an hour now, and I've still only managed to get maybe, let's see, maybe, maybe a sixth of a pint of beer <laughs> out of there. Maybe a fifth. I'll give the benefit of that. I'll, I'll give it the benefit of that. And uh, this is Hopnick Citra IPA. Uh, 4.7% ABV. And well, I poured some out. I'm I don't know how it really works, but I'm guessing that because alcohol doesn't freeze, certainly yeah. not the same temperature water does, that the stuff that has been uh, has melted <laughs> is higher ABV than the actual beer. And what's left in the bottle, uh, so uh, just for anyone listening, like the bottle is still full of an, it's full of an ice cube that goes about halfway through the neck of the bottle so this is a big chunk of ice that's still in there and i think that's most of the water yeah what i've got so. here in this in this beer uh, this is it looks oily it's like I'll you be... know when you get to the bottom of a of a cask like when you're at the pub and like i've done this before where i, was, I remember when i was um living uh, just in sort of southeast london and uh i went to a weatherspoons with my brother-in-law and i was like i'll, I'll, I'll grab a I'll grab a pint of cider and and the barman goes, oh, it's really just the end of the uh, end of the cask here. Do you want that? And I'm like, yeah, no, it'd be fine. It'd be fine. It'd be fine. And he's like, poured it out. And I compared it with my brother-in-law's and his was, looked like a cider, but mine was like a swamp water. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I love that stuff. I like, lo- it's always not, it's, and I've had that at other weather spoons too, right? Oh, Where I was off my tits they, after it. <laughs> it's the, it's great. Like, great, you know, though. where they say, by the way, this is the end of the cast. Well, we'll give you the end. And then you get like a pint and a half for free. Yeah. And it's the dregs. You oh, know, it's good. the the earthy sediment. That's it's been powerful. Mm. It feels like what you've got now is the powerful earthy sediment of the beer. Uh, I think this is definitely more than 4.7% ABV. Uh, <laughs> this definitely does not taste 4.7. It really is quite oily. I don't know how it is, but you know, you get that thing where... You know, if you lift a lift a glass up and you know put it to the light and you see through it, you can kind of see rainbow. Uh, it's it's called well, it's not a rainbow, but it's like you know, <laughs> it's 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 wavy. There's that thing where you know we got whiskey and you you pour it down and if you squirt, yeah. squirt it around, yeah, you yeah. get they they call tears or something. Tears, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they sort of drip down the side. Same with the wine. Yeah, on with wine, it's called the legs. Right. Yeah, the legs. Right. It's like this thing is made of legs. So even though I've not swished it around. <laughs> The way it's got this sort of wavy texture to it, it's um, yeah, it looks quite oily. But you know, uh, here I'll have a, have another taste. Bottoms up. Well, I might as well rate mine. So the Mister Miyagi Hazy IPA from Deep Creek Brewing Co. in Auckland, New Zealand. Um, I wonder if they've got a wonderfully big dick uh, at the brewery there that people can go and sit on the dick. Um, anyway. <laughs> And that's that's no offense to any Kiwis listening to this, but there's a great if you actually if you search on YouTube or online, there's a great um sketch uh about a guy that's talking about painting his deck um 
and 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 he's in a Kiwi Kiwi uh, accent, and he talks about painting his dick where the children can come and play on the dick. And it's just one of the greatest sketches of all time. So I, I encourage everyone to go and look at that. Anyway, ra <laughs> rating the Mr. Miyagi, uh, very enjoyable beer. Uh, the the Kiwis have done a fine job with this one. This is a hazy IPA, a 6.5% ABV. I liked it a lot, actually. And I'm I'm going to give this one a, a double B because uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, actually. Oh, good. I, um, I, I realize I haven't done my bearish bit yet. Um, for that, I would give, uh, let's see, for the bearish segment, it would be ESG, uh, environmental, <laughs> societal, and governance. Not for, you know, we have discussed in previous, uh, in previous episodes, I believe, about why, uh, why ESG is not necessarily what everything that it thinks it yeah. is. But um it, specifically this time it's because Giselle Bunchen has oh. become a major player she's been asked to join oh. a very large org organization oh. uh, as part of their ESG remit now Giselle oh. Bunchen was the was the great contrarian indicator in the 2000s with the euro where she would only accept euro in payment for her modeling oh, and this announcement occurred right at the top of the euro bull market that had gone all the way through the 2000s and pretty much, uh, you know, it was almost, it was, I think, I believe it was late 2007 when she did that. And, uh, you know, that was pretty much it for the Euro. It never, it never recovered and it fell from there. So now that she has gone full into ESG, I do get the impression that perhaps this is not a good time to be investing in ESG, but of course could be completely wrong. Well, uh, you know, just just on that, the, Tom Brady has recently also just become part of a. I think it's a group called Autograph that is uh, a, an NFT based project as well. So oh, if man. she's gone full ESG and he's gone full NFT, you know, it should be a bit of caution exercised in both those markets. I would have thought. <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, yeah a good way of looking at. It. Despite what he's done for the Buccaneers, I'm not <laughs> sure Tom Brady is maybe the best thing to happen to the NFT space. Uh, this. Um, <laughs> This this Hopnick Citra IPA as frozen, I can't tell you how good it tastes <laughs> actually. But uh, maybe if you, if Sam, if you can add like in brackets, I frozen. I would give this frozen Citra IPA from Hopnick. Maybe, ah, damn. Maybe I'll give it. I'll give it a double A plus. Double A plus. I mean, this tastes like. It tastes. Uh, it tastes oily. It tastes very oily. <laughs> Uh, it tastes higher ABV than what it is. Thing is, maybe when I let the rest of it, you know, melt and then drink that, you know, the water side, maybe then that'll taste really good. So, uh, you know, I think that'll take some time though. So maybe I'll let you know next week. But Sam, any closing comments for episode 43? Um, have a good long weekend, everyone. Well, you know, not everyone in the UK gets that long weekend, mate. You know, it's only... Uh, Don't they? I, no, no, Scotland has different ones, but... Um, oh. oh, I apologize to anyone in Scotland. What about, uh, does Wales get it? Uh, that's a good question. I, and maybe even Scotland does, but I'm pretty sure Scotland doesn't have that day. Oh. Wait, Northern, I think Northern Ireland has the same one. Oh, but good maybe. luck to anyone that's got the long weekend. And if you don't, that's unlucky. To anyone who does have the long weekend, <laughs> have a very good long weekend. But yeah... Um, I think that does does round it up for this week. We shall be back again with 44. 44, we've got to do something 
something good for that. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll, we'll think of something. Uh, but that's all for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. And we shall be back again next week with episode 44. We'll see you then.